Another week of Behind the Lens. Don't you just love those French horns? Did you miss them last week? I I missed them last week. I missed you last week. Aw, I missed you too. I was here all by my lonesome. I was expecting you to say that you had a I missed you last week too. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I missed your voice. The singing (laughs) voice was really... You know, I heard that singing voice back and it's horrendous. (laughs) I apologize to all the Behind the Lens listeners. Oh, I thought it sounded great. That I might have uh, subjected you to, I guess. How did Debbie do last week? She she did good. She put herself down a lot, but that's because she's a critic. That's true. She did really well. And I'm very critical of myself. Mm. But, so here we are this week, back for Behind the Lens, and we are going definitely Behind the Lens today. We're going to talk about some low riders. We're going to talk about McFarland. We're going to talk about song, lyricism, musicality. Really great, really great Kevin Costner film. A really great Kevin Costner film. so. He's been in like 30 sports movies, it seems. He's the consummate sportsman. Sportsman. He is the man. Be he Crash Davis, be he Billy Chappell, you know, be he standing in a field of dreams, be he negotiating on draft day. Nice. I worked all that in there. Nice. You you like that? Worked worked all that in there. He is the consummate. When you think of a sports movie in present day, you think of Kevin Costner. Uh, Is there any actor who even compares as far as the sports genre goes with Costner? Uh, in today, no. Uh, decades ago, Jimmy Stewart. Definitely Jimmy Stewart. Right. Gary Cooper had Gary that Gary Cooper. Yeah. I think they good. were predominantly the, the guys you identified with. Granted, Ronald Reagan had a football movie, but right. we can forget about right. that. Right. Nobody compares with Costner when it comes to yeah. a sports film. And then you take Costner... With the way he delivers inspirational speeches, reflective notes of a life well-lived or not, and you throw in a true story and Disney. And a really good filmmaker, too. And so. it's, it, I mean, it's, it is a film that everybody needs to see. And as mm-hmm. I told Nikki Caro, the director of McFarland USA, and all the reps at Disney, McFarland USA should be, every town in America should be what McFarland is. Also makes you want to run up a hill. No, it does not make me want to run up a hill. <laughs> that does not. No. Were you ever a runner? Ever? No. During, really? No. You, you know, after you run, you get a real nice runner's high. I mean, I have plantar fasciitis now. I, I can barely run or barely walk, but back in the day, I, I did used to run. No. No, never. No. I mean, it's never too late. Just throwing that out there. No. No. So. Yeah. Ankles, knees, hips, no. At this stage okay. of the game, no. Okay, but... You know. It is inspiring on just the superficial running sense as well, because they go through a lot of stuff. In the well, and, and McFarland, you know, it's about cross-country runners and the community. And as Nikki Carroll told me, you know, cross-country runners, there is something very beautiful and elegant about watching cross-country runners. It's not just somebody on a track going round mm-hmm. in a circle and round mm-hmm. in a circle and round in a circle. But before we get to our, our clips um, of my exclusive with Nikki Caro and of the press conference with Kevin Costner and these wonderful new actors that have now, non-actors that are now actors, um, we've got Oscars and Spirit Awards this week, too. And you're covering the spirits? Covering. Lydia and I will be there mm. on the blue carpet. Yes, we will. The blue carpet. The blue carpet. Spirit Awards, they do a blue carpet. They've always done a blue carpet. They do a blue carpet. I had no idea. 
down on the beach. Is there, oh, is there any reason because it matches the ocean or something? Or are they just... Well, what do you think? Blue is natural, blue, calming, ocean, pretty. calming. Okay. Oh, you know. Okay. So it should it should be a lot of fun. I'm I cast my votes timely for the Spirit Awards, as we talked about a few weeks ago. You know, every uh, year people can cast their votes if they join Film Independent. Yes. Are you excited about certain filmmakers and actors you're going to interview on the blue ish carpet? Well, it depends so. who is walking on the blue ish carpet <laughs> and who will stop to talk. But oh, I wait. Most of them don't stop to talk, or do a lot of them? do actually 50 50 it depends how late it depends how late things are running it depends who has to get inside the tent um but i my favorite part is actually when i'm in the press tent in the winner's tent where they come after they after they win you know i mean they're in a good mood they're in a great mood there have been instances over the years where some people have not made it into the press tent um, because they, they just... were actually taken off stage because of oh. the free flowing moe okay. at the tables. Okay. Uh, so it's always it's always a good time. Right. It's it's always a good time. But I have to tell you, I mean, I am thrilled with some of the spirit nominees. Most notably, mm. in I'm thrilled for all the love for Nightcrawler. Yeah, yeah. I Night, I I am just thrilled for all the love for Nightcrawler and out of all the the bigger awards the BAFTAs are the only one that recognized Renee Russo with a nomination that woman has been so she has been so overlooked this award season but luckily her husband has not Dan Gilroy has an Oscar nom he's got multiple Spirit Award nominations Riz Ahmed has a support best uh, supporting actor for Spirit Award nomination for Nightcrawler you know, Gilroy said something really interesting at the LA Film School a couple of weeks ago. They had the screenwriting seminar thing, and he was saying that lately now he doesn't really believe in the idea of a character arc mm-hmm. or a protagonist or antagonist or just people. And, you know, because in real life, people don't have these great kind of defining moments. There's no beginning, middle, end structure. So I, I think that really applies to the construct of Nightcrawler and the main character and the characters that revolve around that universe. So it's a very interesting film, and I'm glad it's getting a lot more recognition. And it's a beautiful film. Yeah. The cinematography stuns. But, you know, yeah. we've got other great cinematographers this year that are Oscar nominees and Spirit Award nominees. Lubeski, Emmanuel Lubeski for Birdman. He's been, you know, cleaning up with awards thus far for Best Cinematography. Yeah. I think he's going to walk away with the Oscar. And I think, much to my chagrin, because this, for me, was a very difficult category with Spirit Awards, Darius Kanji for The Immigrant. Right. Or Lubeski. You know what? Obviously, do you have a preferred choice as far as that goes? Obviously, Lubeski is probably going to get it, but... I think because of the nuance and the visual texture that Kanji brought to the immigrant and the patina and the palette that he created, I think there's a lot more craftsmanship. Right. Um, There's a lot more texture and storytelling with the lighting itself. So for that reason, I would definitely go with Kanji over uh, Lubeski. Beautiful one-shot trick, and it's very frenetic. But and that's just it. It's a one-shot trick. It's it a is. trick. It's just a po- it's the popular choice. But you're right. The as far as the nuance goes, the lighting, the scope of the immigrant, you'd have to give it to Kanji. The, the scope is just stunning. Uh, the story it tells, the history it tells. Yeah. Um, I just I love that film, and Marion Cotillard is stunning in it. 
Jeremy Renner is amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I wish that film had gotten more love all around in awards season. But it got at least a Spirit Award nomination. Maybe. My fingers are crossed. Is this your favorite awards of the season as far as because it really recognizes the filmmakers and maybe movies that were kind of ignored by the Globes or the Oscars? It really is. It, mm. it really is. And with the Spirit Awards, because I spend so much time and am so involved with Film Independent, with L.A. Film Festival, mm. with, the little, with the indie world, that I get to see so many of these films that, from the beginning... Right. You know, like right. the other week, Supremacy when Dion Taylor. I mean, that... I just... I love that film, and I've been on that journey with Dion... Yeah. Um, the Life and Mind of Mark DeFriest, fascinating documentary mm. that broke during L.A. Film Festival, just got a release date. And this is the power of film. Um, Mark DeFriest is a man he's been imprisoned for, I think, 30-some years now in Florida. He has been called the Houdini of the prison system because he's escaped umpteen times. He also is a victim of the judicial system. He landed in jail initially because his father passed tools his father had promised him in the garage he was a machinist he went and he took the tools his stepmother had him arrested that's amazing and wow. he didn't know any better yeah. so you know he ended up in jail and he became a victim of the system um a psychiatrist was involved bad lawyering was involved and he's been in and out of jail all these decades yeah. finally a psychiatrist admitted that well i was wrong an, an attorney stepped back in, and our filmmaker got involved uh, with following Mark's story. And slowly, it came to the public attention. I even wrote a brief to the Florida Parole Board, oh. an, an amicus brief. Um, and a lot of people did. A lot of lawyers stepped up. And he is na finally now, after all this time, Mark is now with a year of rehab and transitioning he's now eligible for parole wow and what a story that is and that is in large part due to the exposure of this film so the power of film speaks and this is one of yeah. the little the little engine that could yeah so that, and you don't kind of awe-inspiring just hearing that you don't see that or hear yeah. that about the majority of oscar films unless it is some of the more powerful documentaries right but, and here again, with documentary categories for Oscars and Spirit Awards are just amazing. Of course, I think, I think we know what, who's going to walk away with the doc both nights. Oh, Citizen? So I think it's going to be Citizen yeah. Four. Yeah, Citizen Four. Personal favorite of mine is The Salt of the Earth. Salt of the Earth is beautiful. No. Wim Wenders did an amazing mm -hmm. job chronicling that story. Varunga, they're doing a last-minute push now for Oscar right, right. with all of the TV ads. A and blitz. A blitz. The, it's yeah, a blitz. Yeah. It's a Leonardo DiCaprio blitz. <laughs> and it's, it's a fine film. It's a yeah. great film. But I don't think it deserves to walk away with the, with the big award of the year. I don't think it deserves Oscar. But I, do, I think Citizen Four will walk away, but yeah. I think Salt of the Earth is more deserving. You know, the idea of, of a photographer... Um, he leaves his his life, his corporate life, to travel the world and document and photograph and actually live and embed himself with people, different tribes, different parts of the world, just to connect to humanity. 
and mm -hmm. it's his life work to actually connect with people and to share their stories um even at a advanced age now still doing it in a different fashion yeah. it's very it's a very beautiful film so and what and what he's done what salgado has done with the land mm. and giving back and planting trees and forests that have through deforestation that disappeared he's just it, it's just an amazing story about how he celebrates and cherishes the earth and its people what's funny when not funny actually what's resonant about the documentary is you see through uh wander's eyes and salgado's photographs and interviews you see all the devastation and tragedy and death he's been through his entire life just all those life-changing incidents for a different person that could have completely changed them in a different path but the fact that in his third act he's actually giving back to the earth and letting things grow it's mm -hmm. it's a beautiful beautiful and oh beautiful it's documentary. it's absolutely amazing so, now yeah. an, an interesting category for me mm. is the is the best best female actress i think it we're pretty sure that julianne moore is going to get the oscar I think she is the deserving one with Best Female Lead for Spirit Award. But as we've got the competition, and remember it is the Indie Spirit Awards. Yes. The Film Independent yes. Spirit Awards. Marion Cotillard, um, Julianne, Jenny Slate with Obvious Child, which is a huge, huge, huge indie fave. Mm -hmm. uh, Tilda Swinton, which that came out of nowhere. Right. Another stunning film this year. It's a stunning film. It's a really interesting... Uh, it, people may think it's just about vampires or whatnot. And it's it, not. It's really a meditation on life. Mm -hmm. and it's, in many ways, it's a two-hander. A lot of them, a lot of times, yeah. are cramped in his domicile, right? The, those two vampires. But it's really interesting. It's fascinating. Yeah. And to see the centuries that have gone by yeah. as encapsulated within one house is yeah. just... It's stunning. That, you know, and uh, it's a fabulous performance. Marion Cotillard, though, with The Immigrant, she mm. she could get some love. She was a big favorite with the fans who right. were outside the nominees' brunch a few weeks ago. Well, she's a big favorite with journalists. She's always been nice to journalists just during interviews and very open and, and just giving with never really guarded during her interviews. So she's, she is a favorite. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I have still not seen Kumiko the Treasure Hunter. Well, then... If you're very nice, I will bring you okay, my cool. screener, cool. Nice. which I got through Film Independent as part of my screening packet for Spirit Awards. Very good. Very good. Uh, I'm more than happy to, to let you take a gander at that. Um, it, it's going to be a toss-up here with Best Director. I think, you know, Boyhood, I think, is really, uh, it, it's got the momentum everywhere. Richard That's Linklater, yeah. Boyhood. It's his time already with a great body of work, you know, starting from Slacker, right? But that's so. not why you give an award. You give it for the project at right. hand. That, exactly, correct. But I think just, I think most people do the whole, you know, the, the color of money, Paul Newman. Yeah, thing, yeah. Where it's like you award the body of work, I think. <laughs> and it's, it's not really right. But I think that's just the way. That's a spiritual thing to do, I guess. Yeah, I mean, personally... That's not how you vote. No, yeah. that is uh, yeah. that is never how I vote. It's never how I pick. It's never how I break down films. Yeah, I would vote that way because I'm kind of a sentimental kind of... I look at the body of work, so I'd be a horrible voter. If yeah. people voted just on a performance, Nicole Kidman would have gotten an Oscar for Moulin Rouge. Oh, yeah. Enough said. Yeah, 
Yeah. What can I say? But as far as director goes, other than Linklater, who on that list would you have... Well, I think... Uh-oh. Oh. Uh-oh. We have to take a break. We're getting we're getting the the clap. Meditate on that for Behind a while. Behind the Lens is sponsored in part by the Culver City Observer. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And we're back. We need, we need, you know, French we, horns. We need a more audible me. More, 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 au- voice, you're, more voice. You're much more audible now. Okay, better? Okay. Yes. Yeah, so. Yes. Our guru's in the booth. You can hear Brian, me now. Brian and Lydia were yes, out here were playing with things. Good advice on how to actually speak to the mic. Yes, so. and now they're wooing again in there. Yeah, so. I don't know what we're going to do with them, and they're wooing. But You can hear my melodic voice now, right? Yes, I can my, hear your melodic voice. Soothing, dulcet tones of... On this President's uh, Day. It sounded yes. very presidential today. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, right, oh, cool. You sounded more like Elvis there. Oh, my bad. So, You're bad. Asian Elvis. So, <laughs> yeah. You know what? Um, for the spirits, the, how are the quality, even through the blue carpet, how are the actual chats? Even though they're quick, are they are they fun? Is it a more relaxed atmosphere? Definitely and, a more relaxed atmosphere. Um, my buddy Keith Stanfield, who was in Short Term 12. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Keith is in another film this year, and he's got his music career. Let's see. Last year, to be entertaining with me and me alone, mm-hmm. he lay down and was spinning on the carpet for the camera. Um, who knows what? He's already warned me. Oh, okay, cool. About the, cool. this year. Yeah. He's going to be stopping and making a spectacle of himself again. But it sounds like so much fun, actually, to cover. It is. Yeah. I, you know, I love doing it. This is my, it's the 30th Spirit Awards. This will be my 25th. My gosh. Spirit yeah. Awards. Yeah. Either attending and or covering. Because there were many years that I didn't cover, but I attended. I've never even watched it. I don't know if you go back and actually watch the show after covering it. No. No. Oh, no. You're not going to. Okay. No. I live things. I, I, I don't go back and watch them again. Okay, cool. Cool. You live it. I live it. I, I prefer to watch. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm the Matthew McConaughey, you know, got live it. it. You got to just do it, right? Yeah. But I won't do a Lincoln commercial. No, I, no. For the right amount of money, I might. No meditative. No meditative. Okay. Gotcha. I can't, I can't gotcha. do contemplative meditative. But you like singing, though. I, I love singing. I love musicals. Everybody knows how much I love musicals. Did, did you like Parade? Because that's Anna Kendrick's favorite musical. That is Anna Kendrick's yeah. favorite musical, stage musical. Um, I, lo- I think it's wonderful. Mm. I wouldn't call it my favorite. But it is wonderful. It is wonderful. It's lovely. It is lovely, delightful, delectable, <laughs> and all of that. Right. Um, right. For stage musicals, I I love the Ethel Merman, the Carol Channing, the Hello Dollies, mm. the you know, the really loud, brassy um, musicals. But yeah. then I also love these very melodic. I don't see it with you. I just don't see it. You don't see it. No, <laughs> nobody does. And I yeah, and I yeah. know that my aunt down in Omaha, Georgia, she's watching this, yeah. is laughing herself silly. So we'll say hello to Aunt Ruth just because hello. Hello. she is our biggest fan. In case there is any doubt in anybody's mind, she is our biggest fan. So the last five years isn't brassy, but it has its own kind of unique tone. And It is priceless. It is the musical deconstruction of a relationship. And the translation 
going from Jason Robert Brown's stage version, mm-hmm. which is essentially two people, Jamie and Kathy, talking in monologue to the audience through song. What has now happened with Richard uh, Lagravenisi hmm. in doing this film adaptation, the characters have backstories. It is now a fully encompassing 360 as Kathy is going backwards, reflecting on a relationship, and Jamie is, his story is coming forward. And in the film, we meet in the middle at one point. Hmm. But it's a very lyrical film. The musicality, the lyricism, the fluidity of camera from the cinematographer Steve Meisler is stunning. That camera is tracking and going 360 in so many sequences that it just fuels the swirl of romance and love. So at the press day, um, as you know, because you were there, I had a chance to ask co-star Jeremy Jeremy Jordan, Mm. Anna Kendrick, and writer-director about creating this lyricism on on screen. We're playing Nikki one, right? No, we're playing last five years one. Okay, because I had the order all wrong. Okay, hang on, let me readjust here. It's a holiday. It's a holiday. we're all, you know. Well, we had a minor, a minor technical glitch there. Just a minor. Just a minor one. Yeah. That is the joy of live whatever. Hopefully, yeah. Brian will have up here in a second the the clip from the last five years. The musical. The musical. Not the running film. Not the running film. <laughs> and... Okay. okay. Oh, well, we have to we're traveling. We're talking. We're With that being said, time. the production value on last 5 years, even though it is a low budget film, did you see the production value? Oh. Really, really the production value is phenomenal yeah. on that film. And because I also did a one-on-one with Richard um and talked about the film. Mm. And costuming is such a big part. Costuming and hair a huge part of creating these characters that we see on screen. And not the least of which are the headscarves with mm. the character of Kathy. Because when she's in her single stage and I see all these headscarves, all I'm thinking of is 1970s Rhoda Morgenstern. Jewish single girl trying to find a oh, husband. Oh, got it, got it, got it. And that's exactly <laughs> the point that Anna Kendrick's Kathy is in, you know, at that moment in the, you know, in the film. So, I mean, it's, there's so much thought, there's so many little details that went into this. Um, but it is the musicality that is truly stunning. And a lot of this is also due to uh, Sabina Hoffman, the editor of the film. Sabina did an amazing job. And here again, it's the cadence of the music itself that helped dictate where, you know, how the camera was moving, how the editing was going, the cuts that were being made. So it's quite, you know, a really beautifully done film actually quite i mean it's stunning to look at stunning to listen to and we have the soundtrack somewhere oh there it is right there up front and do you like the soundtrack soundtrack is stunning have you listened to the whole track i have not listened to the soundtrack i've been a bad boy so the soundtrack is even more beautiful i'm a guy the only soundtrack i know is guys and dolls and west side story 
So I've got to actually uh, boost my musical knowledge. Well, and what's so bit. what's so lovely when you get the deluxe edition CD, get the lyric sheet of the last five years. You get the lyric sheets. Nice. You could sing to the, the tracks. So in other words, the liner notes are beautifully done. Yes. You Brian can, can actually sing to the s- songs from the last five years. So yes, instead of singing back, you know, Backstreet, Backstreet Boys. Boys. Yeah, you can do. A, you know, so it's it is lovely, and I can't. Anybody that likes musicals, anybody that likes yeah. theater, stage. This is the perfect, perfect thing to buy to see a belated Valentine's gift. So, would you call Anna Kendrick now the, the queen of the musical because of what she's been involved in the last several years? Or with is someone... Pitch Perfect, with Into the Woods, yes. uh, now with Pitch Perfect Two coming up. Um, yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. There's She's, no one that compares to her, right, on that level right now. I think Anna Kendrick is actually filling the the Debbie Reynolds of the 50s. Very good. Very Yes, yeah, I see that. I definitely see that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's, I think that's a fair comparison. I still have not seen Pitch Perfect. I still haven't. <laughs> you know, there's movies I'm still, you know, I, there's a couple of things I still haven't seen. And now we're so. waiting for Pitch Perfect 2 to come out. Now we're waiting for Pitch Perfect 2. Imminently. So, imminently, yeah. So. so, you know, you need to get on the stick here. I'm telling you. So did you have? So you covered the press conference. I was there. You were there. I was, I was there in body, not in, not in spirit. Uh, I have to really get into the musical thing myself. You know, the musicals are just, it's just another layer of storytelling. And this is truly a musical. It's not just music for music's sake to plug it in. It is, the story is told through music and there is very little dialogue. It is all music. Well, what's interesting now is the film was released on Friday, right? In select mm-hmm. theaters, but also on VOD yeah. and iTunes. Mm-hmm. So do you see musicals kind of actually, being more of these type of films being released kind of day and date? It gives more opportunities to different musicals down the bike to actually get released and to actually have more, you know, opportunities. I think it does, but at the same time, a film like this, you need to see on the big screen to appreciate the scope and the camera True. movement and the grandeur that the music itself creates. Right, yeah. You know, I have never seen a musical on the small screen that is as anywhere near as fine as it is on the big screen. That's a film purist, and that's totally the correct answer. But I think <laughs> the new generation, they, I think the new generation, and I'm sounding like an old man, they'll, they'll be more than happy to see Lawrence of Arabia on their, on their iPhone or their, their iPad. Unfortunately. Yeah. Un- and yeah, and that's a shame. Yeah. But the good news is, film is still going to be around for a while. Kodak just announced another deal. They're going to keep making right. film. Yeah. For, so for the purists at heart. Do you personally prefer, can you notice the, that wash of the color, the warmth of the color of film when you're watching something on the big screen or even on the, in the small screen as opposed to a digital film that maybe has been look to, ma- to be made to look like a film? Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, oh yeah. in many cases I can. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, that's one right. of the beautiful things about McFarland. Um, and when we start with those clips, <laughs> right? Um, I talked to yeah. Nikki Caro about that yeah. because McFarland is shot on film, and one of the beautiful things you can see with the film being totally backlit. Hmm. Um, she and her her DP, uh, <clears throat> Adam uh, Alcapau. 
Hmm. Shot it on film, backlit the whole film. Now, when you backlit a f- Does that what does that do? Does that bring the images closer to the forefront? Does it give more it gives dimension? You, it gives you light. It gives you dimension. Okay. It also allows you to keep shooting. Um, oh, okay. But it keeps things. There's a continuity. There's a visual continuity with your lighting, and it also allows. There are so many scenes in McFarland. You may recall some of them where they're running up the the almond mounds, right? Where they are running in that final race, the cross country yeah. through Griffith Park, mm-hmm. and you get the beautiful contrast with the backlit with the sun. Yeah, and you can see the little. You know, when you sit there on a warm summer day and you're just looking at the sunbeams, and you, the tiny right. little specks specks of light. As a kid, you're always fascinated by that, and film will capture that. It gives a texture, it gives a grain, and granted, you can. I know Lasse Hallstrom now having shot a hundred foot journey mm. in uh, digitally as opposed to film. He was a film purist, but he was very happy with what digital can do and what it did do, or it can close to replicate it. It can close to replicate. Okay, but not fully. Not fully. Okay, yeah. Not fully. Because McFarlane really does, I had no idea it was shot on film, but it really has a rich golden look to it. And we're taking a break. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is the number one newspaper in Culver City. Covering local news, politics, and community events. With sports by Mitch Chortkoff and movie reviews by Debbie Lynn Elias, Culver City Observer is the place to go to be in the know. When you think Culver City and the heart of Screenland, think Culver City Observer. When you think movies and movie reviews, think Culver City Observer. Culver City Observer, a division of Arizona Newspaper Group, is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. We're back. We're dealing with all kinds of technical issues today. Obviously, the world... And I am technically an issue as well, so... <laughs> You're always an, I'm an issue. You're I'm always, always an issue. always... It's, it's a Monday, number one. Number two, it's kind of a holiday, right? What holiday is it again? It's President's I'm, Day. I'm kidding. Yeah, so... You know, I, we're, we're all a little bit off. Except you. You're not off. And I've been up since 2.30 in the morning, oh, so... Oh, wow. Yeah. You don't... You, 2.30? Yeah. Oh, because the prep and stuff yeah okay i stayed up and i watched saturday night live 40th anniversary last night you loved it i loved it cool i thought it was great i did not see that i slept at eight i'm an old man already so i don't uh... oh god oh my god well hopefully Mm. we can now let us check with with brian in the booth do we have we have it okay we now have the clip for the last five years with Anna Kendrick, with everybody joining in and chiming in, talking about how they created this full-bodied lyrical flow of the last five years on film. First of all, congratulations. As I mentioned to you, Anna, back for Into the Woods, this is phenomenal. The two of you are amazing with your vocal styling and your lyricism. How did you go about, and Richard, weigh in on this as well for all three of you, how did you go about translating what's basically just a two-person on stage to making it a full 360 roundabout with your performances in this film? Because it's so beautiful and so immersive, and we're right in the middle of this swirly love. 
That's a big question. Um, there were some actual swirly moments. Yes. Um, well, you know, um, originally the show was done as monologues out to the audience. And um, in listening to it, I thought uh, I couldn't help but imagine it being done as playable scenes because um, the song not only belongs to the person singing, but to the person receiving it, and it adds a whole other layer to how men and women, or any, any relationships, kind of, you know, we, speak, we sing different songs, we, we sing different languages sometimes in our, in our love affairs. And uh, we uh, worked on backstories for the characters so that when they're listening, uh, and, uh, they're, their story is being, is being forwarded, uh, their emotional story, and they work very hard on that. I remember, I've, I'm such a jerk, I should know this, but um, I'm blanking on the name of the director of the original production. A Daisy Prince. Prince. She, she, came, she came to set one day, the day that we were shooting um, uh, my half of the phone call about Rude. moving in together. Rude. To um, and, uh, and it was... Uh, uh, she was having a sort of out-of-body experience because, first of all, she was like, Kathy speaks. Yeah. Um, you know, that was new for her. Mm -hmm. And also she was like, she, I didn't know that Kathy would be so artsy. You know, and I forget sometimes that we weren't working from material that dictated all of these things because my first experience was reading Richard's screenplay. Um, so uh, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see if people... Um, you know, will add their own versions of, you know, because in so many ways they are um, uh, conducive to being um, added to and um, uh, interpreted in very unique ways. And, like, this isn't, um, you know, for every high school, college, professional production of this, this isn't the definitive version of Kathy and Jamie. And, mm. you know, it was, I took it for granted that we could put ourselves um and our versions of Kathy and Jamie in the film. Yeah, and I have to say hmm. that if I had to choose, and I think I've said I said this on our premiere show, if yeah. I had to choose between watching Anna Kendrick in Into the Woods and watching Anna Kendrick in the last five years, yes, I will watch her multiple times in the last five years. It is oh. one of her finest musical performances. Okay, okay. So, ring, ringing endorsement for musicals, my that's friend. Picking her over Soundheim. That's yes. pretty big. That's pretty big. But Brown is in, is pretty big too. Yeah. So, yeah. And plus, you know, the challenges that and the emotion that she really gets to convey throughout the course of a 97-minute film is stunning. But now, mm. now we're going to trot on over to McFarland, USA. Oh, but very quickly though, the one yes. of the great things about last 5 years is it's not a cookie-cutter look at a relationship. That's oh, the one good no. really one of many good things about the film. Well, and it's also it's because of the construct where you've got Jamie looking forward, Kathy looking backwards mm -hmm. and they meet in the middle. Musically, yeah. it it brings it together in the middle. Yeah. So, at one of the most beautiful scenes in the film, as a matter of fact, and it is one of my favorite musical sequences of the past, I'd say, 30 years. Speaking of not being cookie-cutter, McFarlane USA just really pretty much breaks the mold as far as that quote-unquote sports movie goes. Yeah. And I'm sure you know why, because you, you were able to actually talk to the filmmaker one-on-one. -on -one. Well, you know, I, it's just... It's a great story, and as we were talking about the, at the top of the show, Kevin Costner in a sports film, no-brainer. Book it, right? I think that what... He hasn't done basketball yet. He hasn't done hockey yet right there are a couple more sports out there for him to tackle but you've right. got to have the right 
story to tell, and this is the right story to tell. The story of Jim White and the, McFar- and the 1987 McFar- McFarland track team, cross-country team, is it is the stuff that dreams are made of. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, here is Jim White. He goes to McFarland, which is, it's a town that's all about farm, family, and faith. Yeah, blue-collar and, town, very hard-working town. Where kids are up at, it's primarily Hispanic yeah. community. Mm-hmm. And kids are up at 4 or 5 in the morning, out picking in the fields, going to school, and then trying to have an extracurricular life. And it's a great story, it's a, and it has turned into a legacy for the community, uh, and a legacy for the cross-country runners. But the story of, of Jim White, it is not a typical story, as you said. It is not cookie-cutter. And mm-hmm. at the press day, Kevin, uh, Kevin Costner talked about what appealed to him about McFarland, USA. Well, you know, I had read this story uh, some time ago. I don't know if it was 10, 15. Uh, I don't, I'm 16, so I don't remember how long ago. <laughs> uh, but I had read about it in Sports Illustrated, and I remember being very taken with it. I had uh, lived in the Central Valley in Visalia. I actually played McFarland in, in high school baseball, and, and uh, but I was taken with the story, and, and then, of course, closed the page and moved on with my life. And then this movie came up, um, and the shining cloud, Mickey Carroll, said, would you be in this movie? And I, I it was like, she was, it was it's so nice to be wanted. I mean, I, you might think that I get everything I want, I don't. And to be wanted, and for that to match up, was really a nice thing for me. And, and, and it was a beautiful thing, actually. Uh, and so... You know, play Jim, who, you know, there's there's these men and women all over America who are affecting uh, our young people. And uh, the relationships that coaches establish with, with young people is something that often carries through their, their life if it's done right. Uh, there's not a lot of Jim Whites, but there are Jim Whites, and he represents the best, really, of the best. And, uh, you know, it's almost biblical, our children have a hard time listening to their parents. Right? There's a moment in time where, where kids really don't want to hear anything from their parents. But a coach can take on that 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 thing. And boy, if they are of the cloth that Jim White came from, a very graceful, very quiet man who somehow let them know what was possible. What was just possible, not that they were going to get there, but this is possible for you, uh, a goal. And Jim White had just kind of putting the goal out in front of him. Look, look what happened. Look, they, they, did, they exceeded beyond their expectations. So it's a great lesson to us in McFarland that if we give our children, our, our young men, our young women goals, we let them see what's possible, they can exceed beyond their own wildest expectations. And uh, it's just a very good lesson in this movie. So I was uh, proud to play the essence of Jim White. I'm not Jim White. Uh, you know, I think we'd all like to be Jim White in some way. Um, but that was a pl- it was a pleasure to be able to do that kind of from that Sports Illustrated article, make this giant circle to actually be in the movie. I mean, that feels like a movie, doesn't it? Yeah, and just listening to Kevin Costner, he inspires you. Oh yeah, yeah. I was about to tear up during that speech myself. So he's he's just a very re- reflective yet very motiva- motivating force as well. Extremely so. so. It, but you know, in addition mm-hmm. to Kevin coming in, we get Nikki Caro. 
known for whale rider and study of the Maori people, mm. um, North Country. Here is this middle-aged woman with two, married woman with two kids right. from Auckland, New Zealand. Yeah, and she goes to the Central Valley to McFarland, California, to direct this film. You know, one of the great things is that really, actually, that's another character in the film, McFarland itself. McFarland itself and is the very people, much. And the people, you know, Kevin Costner is the star, but really it's it's the people and, and their hopes and dreams mm-hmm. that are, are really well covered and realistically covered um, from Nikki's hand, you know? So well, really and stuff. you take a look at the, at the kids who play the original 1987 track team. Yes. And these are kids that had no, they weren't actors, some were athletes. Ironically, um, one of them, Michael Aguero, who plays one of the, the three Diaz brothers who are key in the history of McFarland. He plays Damasio. Uh, Michael was an actual runner. Ramiro Rodriguez, who plays Danny Diaz, he was a champion soccer player. And this was also his first acting job. Yeah. Uh, Rafael Martinez, who plays the third Diaz brother, David, he cut school to audition. <laughs> you know... One, there are two out of the kids out of who play the team members. Uh, Hector Durand, he'd been he's been acting since he's he was nine, so he was an old hand coming into this. But and then Johnny Ortiz, uh, he also he's best known for playing in Southland. Then you get Sergio Avalar, he is an actual runner who now runs on the McFarland Track Club. So there are Nikki pulled from and her team pulled from the community, pulled people that are part of McFarland who are are rooted in McFarland. And they went more for acting and embodying the essence of these boys as opposed to the athletics. And then called on Mark Ellis, who is the Disney go to guru for sports conditioning and training. He worked with everybody a million dollar arm. He's done all of the all the Disney sports movies to condition and train these guys. So why would Nikki want to be involved in this film? Hmm. And here's, you know, that comes from going there and observing, Mm -hmm. you know, eyes, ears, heart Mm -hmm. open, mouth shut, you know, just, and, and there's, because, well, my philosophy for myself as a filmmaker is, it would be arrogant and stupid to assume that I know better than those guys what mm-hmm. their life is like. And it makes it very easy for me as a filmmaker to go and observe what life is like. And then I bring my skill in mm-hmm. to express that mm-hmm. in a way that hopefully a, a big audience can appreciate mm-hmm. it the same way that I do. Well, one of the great things with this film, beyond the story, beyond the performances and the emotion, is it's also a very beautiful film. It's a culturally immersive film, but Adam's cinematography is stunning. I have to ask you how the two of you worked this Mm. out, because so many people think of, of, you know, the Central Valley and that region of California as being... Like a West Coast dust bowl. Mm. And it's dusty and it's mm. dirty. Mm. But with the sunlight as backlight mm-hmm. and some of those great, you know, long distance, you know, runner shots, you know, yeah. it it is beautiful. You see the little the little bits of sun that filter. Yeah. How did the two of you mm. go about 
mm. creating this visual tonal bandwidth because it's so exciting. <laughs> well, well, Adam, um, he's I'd never worked with him before, but I he was on my radar because he'd shot Top of the Lake for Jane Campion in New Zealand. And when I looked at it, I thought, wow, he gets it. He's got that sense of place mm -hmm. that I ask for from my cinematographers. Mm -hmm. Very important to me. He's He's got it. He didn't shoot New Zealand like the chocolate box picture perfect postcard that it can be. Right. He got underneath it. And so I approached him and I said to him that I would like him to shoot this and that all of those things that you're talking about, thank you, um, you noticed, we, we discussed. We also discussed... Photographing McFarland in a way that it was a very hostile place to begin mm -hmm. with, and the deeper Jim White and his family got immersed mm -hmm. into that into that environment, the more beautiful it became. And we shot on film. And we shot on film. <laughs> Those are uh, words you must love. They, uh, they, that's music to my ears. Yeah. Whenever yeah. a director can tell me that they shot on film, especially a film that looks as beautiful as this and we feel we are back in 1987 yeah 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 so and color also came into play here light color within with the houses the camera framing opened up i mean just all around she really nikki really nailed what mcfarlane is from an emotional mm. standpoint and you had a really you had a really great talk with Nikki and she seemed like she was really you know you guys had kind of that vibe going and I think when she was saying about her, your eyes and your your heart's open I mm -hmm. think what you get from McFarland you you say is a, a very curious and inquisitive and passionate filmmaker mm -hmm. so it's a different kind of story and and really well rendered by Nikki I thought yeah. Well there was one very special part of the film that I fell in love with huh. That tickled Nikki to no end because it, she infused this into the film. Great scene of muscle cars. There is a Keynesian era that is given by the community for Jim White's daughter. Mm. And the whole community yeah. gets involved. And that's one of the great things. While they were filming, the whole community got involved yeah. and was invited to set. But all of these stunning low rider cars, they were not in the original script. Chris oh. Cleveland's original script. Mm. This is something that Nikki brought to the film. She's very, her husband is very involved in lowrider clubs, and mm. it's not what Hollywood thinks lowriders and these muscle cars are. Mm. And of course, I think, you know, she and I were commiserating because I had just given up my 73 Plymouth satellite, and I don't know who had the bigger audible gasp, her or me, <laughs> over that fact. But we got to talk about oh. cars cool. in McFarland. All of these great yeah. 70s muscle cars that have been... Mm. How did... Were they actually from a car club in the community? Did uh, you uh, build them up? Mm. Or, well, good question. It's not easy mm. to find all of those. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have put them in the movie. Um, and I did. It wasn't... The, the, the low-riding elements of the movie did not exist and mm -hmm. before I came in. Um, low-riding is kind of a big part of my life because my husband's very big in that, into that world and we've always had those cars. Um, but I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have brought it to 
this movie if it hadn't been very authentic to mm-hmm. that place. So Central Valley, Bakersfield, it's very big low riding epicenter. A lot of car in the, there. Particularly in the 80s, yeah. And one of the first people I ever met was Harvey Race, who's. Um, his car club up there is called Canales Unidos, and so way before I started working on the script, actually same time I went to visit Jim White for the first time, I went and, and visited <laughs> Harvey and his wife Gloria, and um, Gloria remains a very good friend. Um, and so my husband, who is uh, kind of all about it and all about getting it right, um, he sourced the cars, and the cars are... They are so authentic and so specific. Yeah. Like we could have used sexier cars, but the sexier cars weren't there then. That's, you know. Yeah. And so those cars actually came from a car club in North Hollywood, and the Glass House, Harvey's car in the movie with the mural on the mm-hmm. hood. That's mine. Um, so that's what I drive my kids to school in. And um, yeah, I mean it's just a nice sort of glamorous, colourful mm-hmm. element in the movie, but it also it also for me was important to make the point that low riding in Hollywood movies is usually shorthand for gangster mm-hmm. and my experience and I've had a bit, um, probably more experience than a white middle class mother of two from Auckland, New Zealand should probably have um, is that car clubs are all those guys they're all about family they're all about community and pride yeah Yeah. and their culture and so I wanted to bring that Mm -hmm. you know there's a little speech Harvey says you know we're a car club you know we love these guys they're our babies that's what I understand about Mm -hmm. low riding culture not I'm going to put a gun to your head yeah I think she really gets that across with the way the cars are shown and presented in the film. And since you've seen it, and as other people will see the film uh, this weekend when it opens, there's this great processional and there's this one car that is the car. It's a 1976 Chevy Caprice that Mm. has a beautiful mural painted on the hood. That is when Nikki's talking about that is her car. That is her car. Oh, awesome. I had no idea. And that is the car she takes her children to school in. Not bad. So, yes. Sure beats my Honda Accord. A lot lot fancier. I'll tell you. And stronger. Oh, I mean, just absolutely beautiful. But, you know, we also heard from some of the boys. And... You know, for me, talking to Rafael Martinez, Ramiro Rodriguez, and and Michael Aguero, who played the Diaz boys, who were the core of the McFarland 87 team, and to this day remain central figures in the community. Mm. One is still a counselor. One is a police officer in McFarland. Another is a track coach. So key. So I had a chance to talk to the boys themselves with the real Diaz brothers sitting there with them. Nice. And here is our exchange. Great job, you guys. But I've got to ask you, you've got the learning curve of the cross country. You worked with Mark Ellis. You all had a little bit of, you know, you were a runner beforehand. So you had some athletic experience, but you had no acting experience. So what was the learning curve like learning how to act and portray the Diaz brothers 
and be respectful of who they were at the same time, knowing they're looking over your shoulder and they're a lot bigger and they're going to beat the crap out of you at some point. Yeah, yeah I would like to say, it was, it was all intimidating up until we met these guys. They, they, knew, they made their personalities like stand out and it was easy to read them and, and it pretty much gave us something to go off of rather than just sitting and not giving us anything, any feedback from the room. I was, I was really intimidated because, like, I mean, it was part of we don't have resources to act or anything, you know? And, like, Nikki Carroll and, and the executive producer, Mario, uh, he really, they really pushed me. They, they really, um, they said, oh, we have your back, you know, like, anything you need, like, with that. And then, like, next thing you know, like, two or three weeks into the filming, they fired the acting coach, and I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> Some of the nicest kids yeah. in the world, and you know, to see them up there and to constantly be looking over at their real life counterparts, yeah. who, who subsequently just raved about what the boys brought. And you also raved about this film, right? You would definitely recommend I it. I definitely, you know. Same here. The only shortcoming I have with mm. the film is the casting Maria Bello as Jim White's wife, and I don't know if it's. Because yeah. she wasn't the part wasn't written because Jim White actually did did say that how his wife is portrayed is not really who she is. Okay, so yeah. I don't know if it was because not enough attention was paid on the page, right, to Mrs. White, yeah, or if Maria was just miscast in the role because she's more or less a very she's supportive and it's like okay, Jim, whatever you want to do, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Um, yeah. You want to leave, I'll follow. Maria Bello does not play those kind of parts. True. True. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the only... That was an undercooked role. Yeah. Yeah, that was. So either get somebody else who doesn't have the chops that Maria Bello has... Or is okay to recede into from the spotlight and actually be a real supporting... A re- yeah. So it was like, that's the yeah. one shortcoming that I think could have been developed a little bit further. Mm. But mm. now... As people watch our video later this week, mm. you'll get to see all the cool swag here from our our good friends at Disney. And I know Lydia's going to be happy because she gets to have the sweatshirt after after today's show. What's that big book that looks like it, it could actually... That know? Why don't you grab that big I, book? I don't know. I'm not muscular enough to... You're muscular okay. enough. And we'll, we'll hold it up here to the center camera. 50 years of Oscar. No, right? it's 85, 85 years, years of Oscar. I have, I Robert, o- Rod- Robert Osborne, TCM. Mm-hmm. 
This is one of the seminal books on the history of Oscar. It is a stunning, stunning reference book, historical book, coffee table. You can open the pages. Open You're it. allowed. I'm a little bit nervous to open the page. No. Oh, nice. This but, is big compendium of stuff. Uh, oh, wow. Yes. Complete mm-hmm. histories on... Year by year? Year um, by so year. not 50. So this honored the 85th anniversary. This is the 87th Oscars uh, this coming Sunday. But... Any cinephile, for any anybody who just wants to learn more about the history of Oscars, the history of film, this is a great book to start with. It's a great book to have in your collection, in your library, and it's a great book to, to peruse through as we get ready for TCM Film Festival next month. Oh, that's it. And that's it. We're out of time. See you next week, right? We'll see you next week. We will have Bruce Wagner, and we're going to talk about Maps to the Stars. Interesting. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks.